Hi, welcome to Women's Health Matters podcast. And on this podcast, we look at all areas of women's health, be it they need help with their hormones, help financially, um, help with an abusive relationship, whatever area is needed, help with diet, nutrition, exercise, pelvic floor. I'm just trying to think of some of the guests that we've had in here. We also had a guest who talked a lot about Reiki and self-healing and self-love. These are all really important parts of being you and you feeling like you again. And today I'm joined by an amazing lady, Catherine, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us about what she does and how she ended up doing what she does, actually. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Oh, you're very welcome, Lucy. Thank you so much for inviting me along. Um, yes, Catherine Farron, um, Silver Sister Productions is the business that I started four just over four years ago um so i'll talk to you about what silver sister is when i tell you how i got there um silver sister productions was born out of my passion for supporting women in particular women who have suffered domestic or sexual violence and when i say women i also mean children um young girls um of all ages so i grew up in North Belfast, and I'm still here, I haven't moved too far. Um, and I grew up with uh, domestic violence. So I witnessed and experienced domestic violence firsthand growing up. And I think that's why I sort of went towards the work in regards to advocating and supporting women who had suffered domestic violence and especially children, because I knew what that was like. I knew what that experience was like for me and my brothers, my four siblings. So I think that was in the background of where my choices of work led me. Um, so I've worked for Women's Aid uh, for just over 20 years. And before that, I worked in the community as a family support worker. So I would have been there to support families who were going through some kind of crisis or needed some extra support. It could, it could have looked like maybe there was child protection issues or it was prevention of child protection issues actually happening. Um, so I learned a lot about being in other people's homes and, and trying to build up that rapport, especially when you're an invited guest into someone's home. So I learned very quickly to appreciate that I was a visitor and how as a visitor or a professional, how I could uh, bridge that gap between, you know, are you statutory? Are you going to are you going to make my life worse? So I was able to manage to do that with um i suppose the knowledge of my own childhood a lot of the cases that i went out to support would have uh, entailed domestic violence that would have been on the case conference table so that was difficult in a way for me because i never talked about it i didn't talk to colleagues about it at the time i didn't speak to certainly didn't speak to the women um or the fathers and mothers that i was working with i didn't ever say you know oh i understand because but it was sort of there. And then after a while working as a family support worker in the community, I decided I would like to go for an actual job doing that work directly with um, victims and survivors. So I worked in a refuge for 16 years, which was really interesting um, because every day was it was different, obviously. So uh, it was based in the center of Belfast and I would have worked with women from all over the world um 
our refuge would have had 20 rooms and it was one time where 16 of those were occupied with women whose whose uh, language wasn't English, it wasn't their first language. Um, I also worked with women who were trafficked for sexual exploitation and domestic servitude. Um, and I also worked with women coming out of prison and women with mental health issues, addictions, and the whole impact of what domestic violence can do to a human being was presented through the door of the refuge over the 20 years or 16 years in the refuge and the other four years was working with outreach so people say well oh, that sounds sore <laughs> that sounds really hard work and it was hard work but i think because i was so focused in trying to do my best to support i tried to learn as much as i could not just academically but also learn how to reach out to someone who is suffering without that power imbalance of you know the social guardian and the victim and i think living with those women and children because that's what it was like i was again in someone else's home even though it was a refuge there was 20 families there um i learned how to be able to build up rapport and have a relationship with those women who were there for support so i could do the best that i could do to help to help them to help them. How did you do that? Pay. How did you build up the rapport with them? I think humour a lot of the times. I know that might sound strange when you're greeting someone coming through the door whose life has turned upside down um, and has lost their home, maybe their job, their status as a couple or a married couple and the whole change that they have to go through. But I think I never took myself too seriously when it came to um, working directly with victims and survivors and I think someone I can't remember now where I read it but it was really about taking the passenger seat uh, and the victim being in the driver's seat and they have invited you there to support them and you're never to say look I know a shorter route I'll take the driver's seat so I always knew that it was there the focus was on what they wanted so my job was to give them information and support the support would have looked like things like going to the solicitors going to the gp going to court going going to um the housing um executive to try and get rehoused going to new schools for their children and being with them as opposed to speaking on behalf of and i always felt i was at ease at knowing my my role and i think it worked really well because i've I built up good relationships with those women who were absolutely devastated because of the abuse and then the fact that they were now homeless. Um, we also did some group work with them looking at uh, about domestic abuse and how it impacted on them and their children. And there was a lot of fun in those groups, but there was a lot of tears as well. So I think humour, um, when it was appropriate, of course, um, I think that helped the rapport building and people knew that they could come to me and speak to me about anything uh, and that I wasn't going to be too strict or too authoritarian, that I was someone who um, knew I could meet them where they were at. Uh, and what this, I did. Sorry, I, I'm going to interrupt you here again. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Does this, did this help with your journey to healing, doing these workshops with these women, if you didn't address it yourself straight on? Mm hmm yeah yeah um as i said earlier in the previous job working in the community i i didn't talk to anyone about this 
But I, it was, I put myself in a position where I was surrounded by information, statistics, learning, the training that I was given. I couldn't ignore it. Um, so I, I did seek some uh, counselling support for that, only so that I could be a better support to the people that I was there to serve, as opposed to the pain of the journey that I had been through. But indirectly, that's where my healing happened. If you get me, so I was, I went to it because it's not that I was breaking down in front of people or that I was carrying a lot of things home because I understood about boundaries and I was getting regular supervision. Um, I felt that I needed to look at this so that I could be a better person also to get rid of maybe some of the, the pain, a lot of the pain, um, and the confusion of a child growing up with domestic violence coming into my adulthood. And that made have blurred my, um, I suppose, my my attitude towards perpetrators in particular, because women would cry because they, they missed their partners, they missed their husbands, they missed the father of their children. And, and I needed to understand about that loss. I needed to understand about forgiveness and for my own father. So it was uh, it was really useful for me. I sort of threw myself in the lion's den as, as regards to my own recovery from suffering domestic violence, I suppose, um, by actually living and breathing and learning about it on the job itself, if you understand. Yeah, no, I do understand. And um, obviously your father was the person who did the domestic violence. Um, is he still alive? Is he still around? Yes. And you... Um, like your relationship with him after working with forgiveness work, did it help your relationship with him or is he cut from your life now? Okay, that's a good question. Um, okay, so my mother, I have to mention her first. She passed away five years ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. She was able to leave. She left. She met him. When she, she was married from she was 21 so she actually left him when she was 60 and she had 15 wonderful years of um being free to choose oh, what she wanted to do down, down me for that I'm, I'm so happy to hear that for her that's she really had so much fun and i supported her in that and i enjoyed every second of watching her she was so much so full of life honestly she, if she if she hadn't had that experience, she'd probably been a poet or she was amazing and poetry she used to help her as well. So father then, um, he pushed everyone away, especially me. I'm the eldest of five, so and there, I'm the only girl. So I was I if I wasn't for him, I was against him. So he pushed me away because I, I helped to take his wife away from him, um, and so so. I had no choice in that. It wasn't like I wasn't going to have anything to do with them. Although I did try still to uh, reach out like Christmas and different things like that. But when he, he said he's, he'll be 80 years old this August, uh, but he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when he was 68. So he was living on his own, obviously, because mommy had left, mommy had passed away. And now he's, he's very frail and he's, he's quite ill. Um, and he's in a nursing home because he needs he needs 24 hour nursing. But what's interesting is that um, I'm the only one that actually goes to see him. Um, I'm his care.
body. I'm I'm the contact. I'm the the one with the empowering what you've called up when you when you enduring power of attorney. Yeah. I can't remember the actual term. I so know. I'm the one I'm I'm the one that people all the medical people will contact. Um and I it wasn't it wasn't like I had to think about it because he was suffering. He's a human being. He did I, I never was hungry. Um you know I, I look at the positive and I look at him. Uh and it's it's so sad. But before he went downhill to the point where he's now not able to speak so much, there was a stage uh, four years into the Alzheimer's that he was starting to speak about his own childhood, which I never knew about. Um, so all those barriers uh, and that aggression and everything, the wall that he had built, the Alzheimer's was starting to break that down where he was talking to me about things that happened to him when he was young and the abuse that he had suffered and the neglect and everything else. So that was difficult for me to hear and also helped me understand where he was coming from. Not that I forgive what he has done, but I could see a human being who was broken and um, his choice of how to deal with that was to to bully and and to, to instill fear on our mother and us. So I weirdly have this opportunity this last few years to be able to hold his hand, to stroke his face, to tell him that I love him where I could never have done that before when he um when he when he didn't have the Alzheimer's. So it's sort of um it's just come full circle. So I don't feel I don't feel as angry. I don't I don't the forgiveness is for me and he doesn't know that I even forgive him. And I believe he doesn't need to know that even if he hadn't Alzheimer's. So it's it's been a it's been a journey of understanding, compassion um and and forgiveness so that's very I, powerful what you said there the forgiveness is for me because it, it is a, it, in this situation it is about you not him yes mm. and i suppose the way that i show forgiveness is that i i i, I turn up I, I will go i will look after him as much as i can um and i keep every i keep the rest of the boys in uh, up to date with what's going on and they have their reasons and I don't push it and I don't, you know, that's their journey that they need to go and I'll support them. I'll support them through that if that's what they want. But they're all dealing with it in their own way. Um, but it was funny, my mum, you know, when she left him, she used to say things like, you know, see when he goes, because she always thought he'd go before. See when he goes, just put him in a, one of them funeral parlours. She's like, don't be. Our our, um, our culture here would be that, you know, you would keep someone in a way, uh, you would wake them for three days and they would be in your house, you know, usually under the bay window, you know. And I should go, don't, because he, nobody likes him. And uh, I mean, don't be, don't be sitting up all night and uh, three nights for him. And I would be like, even <laughs> this was 10 years ago. And I'd be like, no, mum, he's my dad. And he'll go into my bay window the same way you'll go into my bay window. Um, okay, well, I, I'll sit with you for one night, but I'll not be sitting for three nights. So she, she used to make me laugh because she would say things like that, you know, and that was 10 years ago. So I knew I was okay with it. It was like a thing that, you know, that is right, even though there's a bit of conflict about it. And I could easily have went with her and went, yeah, you're right, mum. Like what he did to you and what he did. To... But I even knew then, as much as I supported her, I did have to be honest and say, no, mum, he's my dad and that's what I'm. That's what I'm going to do. All right, then, she said. I'll sit with you for one night. 
to, uh, so, I love that she said that that she supported that, oh, and she probably would have sat with you for the three nights oh she would have yeah she would have she would have it was like yeah she's she's so much anger still left but she she used it in a way she she was very humorous she used it in a great way and and, and was well loved by not just family but lots and lots of friends you know she was so funny because it so, takes a lot a lot of courage to leave your relationship it really does huge courage to actually yeah. go like um, my older kids I'm separated from their dad and it, and I know and I, I wasn't in an abusive relationship and there was no you know dodgy dealings in the relationship it just the two of us didn't get on and so I made the decision to leave and um, there's like there's lots of you know reasons for behind it but and so and that would have been you know so there wasn't any hurt well there was hurt but you know what there was no betrayal or uh, betrayal of trust mm. you know an affair or something yeah. but um the courage to do that to do that was is immense so I really it's a very hard thing to do what your mom did I have huge respect for because it takes an awful lot of courage especially when she'd been in a relationship since she was 21 yeah. you know it's nearly uh I don't know, really bad at maths 40 years you know yeah, yeah. obviously and she met him before they married so yeah yeah and, she and, met him and when she was the stigma that goes with a uh, breakup in a relationship Mm. Um, it's a bit more acceptable now but for your mom's age as well you know yeah. it's, it's not easy but if you think about it break any breakup is very difficult especially with there's children involved although Incredibly. we were all fully grown at that stage um and but if you put the added uh barrier obstacles of having suffered emotional and physical abuse for the entire 40 years you're not the same person. You don't have the same resources or possibly resilience, or maybe you do have absolutely 100% resilience because you're still alive and you you have, have lived through it. But for women, um, you know, who are, of the, who are older and suffer domestic violence, I mean, one in four women in the, in the in UK will suffer domestic or sexual violence in a lifetime. One in three women globally that's a lot of women. That okay? is a lot of women. <laughs> we also understand that men suffer domestic violence and that's coming out more and more now. But mm -hmm. I can only speak on my experience of my mother and also my 20 years working with female victims. So out of the one in four in the UK, one in 10 of them will be a woman who's over 55 years of age. And that's where, where this, the research is done, where they consider that to be women in the second stage of life or older women. So the obstacles they have will be that they will have had a longer time of that domestic terrorism, which is really what we're talking about. Coercive control, gaslighting, all the things where you're you're made to believe that what you're thinking and saying is wrong and you're isolated away from family and friends so that you can check in with people. So this is a drip, drip, drip that goes on over a period of time. So on my mother's behalf, she didn't she didn't feel confident about anything because if you're told every day you can't count up properly or you can't budget right or you can't do this and you can't do that that if you you know if you consider a piece of paper that is a human being that's stripping pieces of that away until what i saw my mother as when i said let's go you can come stay with me until you can get your own place was this so uh, that's meant to be an a4 human being piece of paper and if you have someone who is emotionally um mentally drained 
uh, and never mind the shame and all the rest of it and the whole having to change everything and move. We, we as a society are asking this that's left of that person to make all these big decisions and to do all of those things. You know, you, you know what moving house is like. It's one of the top three stressors. But when you're moving because you have to or you have to escape, it's a different thing altogether. So the oh, stress, it is you know, stressful. and bring it and bring it in after going to your uh, seminar last night, which was fantastic and listening to the impact uh, of stress on a human being, then look at a stress on a, a female, then look at stress on a female going through either perimenopause or menopause. All of those things will impact. So it was it was especially wonderful that at 60, when she was still actually going through symptoms of the menopause that she was able to still take my hand and say okay i, I need your support i need i need I, I need to do this because she was actually suicidal at times she was able to talk to me and tell me she was actually suicidal at times because of the abuse and also i had no idea really about the impact of the menopause until i now i'm going through it myself but thinking back about those years up to, say, from 50 onwards, where things were really heating up and, he, you know, he was becoming more and more controlling and still trying to, to, to threaten use violence. He didn't use violence, physical violence as much the latter years, but he would have. And the fear of that was still with her. So, for example, he, he would have beaten her up. He broke her front teeth when she was younger. Even at 60, if he had lifted his hand like this or went to scratch his head, she'd have she'd have carved away. So she had to deal with all of that, plus go through the natural process of womanhood, which is the menopause. But it made me think after listening to you last night about my own mother and all the extra things that she had to deal with, uh, which would exacerbate any symptoms that she may have had in the menopause. When I thought that was interesting um, to, to consider. Um, so with all of that, and as I said, people say to you, well, that's really difficult work, what you're doing. You know, how was how did I deal with it other than going to, to counselling for, for a year or so? I also had a hobby of drama. So my creative side and being able to use that and, and, and have that opportunity was a great joy for me and an escape. So Silver Sister Productions then is the knowledge and the experience of working in the domestic violence field and also having the drama side. So Silver Sister Productions was born out of those two passions. So not only do I educate, uh, raise awareness and speak, I do conferences and presentations and all of those things, but I also bring in uh, drama. So I write my own pieces and I perform them. There's small vignettes that are about 15, 20 minutes and my workshops include the, that piece, uh, Growing Old with Domestic Violence. So my mummy's in the story, along with all, all the other women that I have met. So Growing Old with Domestic Violence starts at the beginning. And I did start it in 1963 because that's when she got married. And she's ironing and ironing her shirt. And she's singing Dusty Springfield. I don't know what it is. It makes me love you so. But the line in the... And the song really struck me because I was just thinking, what song was around then? What song did my mommy used to sing? So what do you hear? 
So I don't know what it is that makes me love you so. I only know I never want to let you go. Cause you started something, can't you see? That ever since that day you've had a hold on me. And that's the line that grabbed me. Because she was full of joy. She was only a year married. She was ironing his shirt. They were going out. And then when we go through the whole process to the end when she's 70 and she didn't get away. She sings the song again only as an older woman and her voice is dry and it's their 50th anniversary. And she says, you've had a hold on me and the anniversary card that's not opened falls. Now, there's lots of more. There's lots in the middle. You make me cry now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very powerful. And it's also so drama does that. Needed. Yeah. Yeah, so I would, yeah. I think um, it's a release, isn't it, for women that they can shed those tears while watching that. And it lets out that emotion because I think it's the shame of that you've got yourself into this situation. And as you said, the more you get stripped away, the less you can get out of it. And then shame comes in again and you don't want to discuss it with anybody. You could because of the shame. It's terrible. It's and it, it's heartbreaking to think. But if you I know the power I got back in my life when I left my ex-partner was immense. And I really I do understand that. And, it you know, um, and it is difficult when you're in an abusive relationship. Yeah. It is difficult. Yeah. And shame and guilt are they're very close cousins, you know. Oh, guilt, if, if you feel guilty because you've been told it's your fault, you're not a good enough mother, you're not a good enough woman, you're not this, you do start to believe it when you don't have any any other um, networks or anyone to talk to. You're, uh, you start to believe it. And even if you do fight it in your head and go, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, those blows to your solar plexus and where your emotional brain sits does bruise and it does then filter. Especially when you, all of us go through this, we all at times, our, our self-esteem will be up and down the same way as our mental health will be up and down. But to have that all of the time, that drip, drip, drip. So you're not going to go around telling people if you're feeling guilty and shameful, um, not just because you couldn't make it work or, I mean, a deeper sense, a deeper sense within your being that you are not good enough and almost like, this is my fault and I have made my bed and I am not lying in it. But the drama piece is only one part of the workshop. So I don't, I always worry that I, I don't want to sensationalize any of this. So I invite the audience to look at my character in, in, in that, I just call her Helen. And I'll ask at each stage, because I do three different chairs to, to show three different stages of her time living with the abusive partner. And I'll ask, what do you think would have helped? I ask the audience. So I use it as almost like a um, forum theatre where people can say, well, see, when she went to see the psychiatrist in her 30s and her 40s, could you not have, you know, told the psychiatrist? So I'll react. I'll say, well, what would you have said? So I will do that there and then. I'll go back into that and say, okay, I'm sitting with That's the psychiatrist. What will I do? It's powerful to do that. It's br I love doing this. I know these women so well. I feel almost like I'm her. So I know that I can do that. I can improvise on the spot and give an authentic response from someone who knows. As a child, I mean. I haven't suffered domestic violence in a relationship. 
um, I met my husband when I was 14 <laughs> and we're still together. So um, I'm really glad to hear that. I was going to I wanted to ask no. that question, but I'm glad that you brought it up, you know, because I think that gives hope to women out there that they can meet the person that they mm. do fall in love with. And I, I was fortunate I met someone else as well. And we have a little girl as well. So, you know, I'm very lucky and she she's like a little beautiful blessing in our lives. But um, yeah, so I think it's important to know that you can meet somebody that's good and isn't violent or abusive. Yes. So, so he is the opposite to my father. And, and I knew it when I met him when I was 14 and a half. And we, we grew up together and I knew he's not. He's not like him. He's not this. He's not this. Tick, tick, tick. Even though I didn't get a sheet of paper, I tick. But uh, yes, and we have two grown-up children, uh, a 30-year-old son and a 25-year-old daughter. And uh, we're both very proud of being able to nurture well enough, good enough, as Melanie Klein phrased uh, the child theorist i'm sorry i can't remember no, but she, she she coined the phrase good enough mother um and it's it's nice to know that they're they're well balanced ish coming from coming from me they're well balanced enough and to me that is breaking the cycle that's breaking the cycle and i want to help other people break the cycle and i also want to understand why why people abuse and in particular men abuse and i still haven't got the answer and when I go to different conferences and webinars, and the last thing is always because people who have been hurt in childhood, who grow up with this and don't look at it and have some support with it, will choose to do that. We can't keep, you know, pardon the phrase, but they fuck you up. Your mum and dad, the poem starts off with, you can bleep that out if you like, but that's the actual line in the poem. They fuck you up your mum and dad. So uh, we can't always keep blaming. I know because I, I I don't want my kids blaming me. So we have to be the best people we can be for our kids. As hard as it is, but it's the best thing because it does make you a better person. It's very interesting. I listen to um again like you. I'm always listening to webinars and talks and constantly learning because I'm fascinated, I'm curious about everything, and learning um that kids that are abused or you know are in an abusive relationship in throughout their lives it actually stops a part of their brain developing so they don't develop the i'm i'm probably saying this can be a little bit wrong but the sympathy section of it you know empathy they don't empathy, empathy. frontal cortex between the age of not yeah. and two yeah they don't put you know they don't develop that empathy so it's not there because they've never been taught it it's almost like a baby when the baby's first born it really looks to the mother and father to be held and hugged and nurtured up along but if you don't show that nurture if you don't teach the baby or your little child toddler this it's part it doesn't develop in them and that's another theory that they have why people that are abused become abusers it's yes i i hear i hear that and i went to Derry a few years ago and heard someone speak about that and they used uh, scans of children's brains in the, the Bosnian war. So in war where there's conf uh, any, any kind of conflict and then uh, likened that to maybe a child growing up with domestic violence. So, you know, the carer 
the smiley carer face also is the aggressor and the one who makes you feel afraid on paper yes however children also could have a sibling an older sibling who's there to support them to sing them to sing to them when there's noise downstairs of screaming yeah uh, a screaming mother hello that's what i i did with my brothers uh i had people that i could speak to my cousins and i had a way of i just had a way of being playful and i actually you would never have thought as a child that that i was suffering from anything at all i would have I would have used the whole, I'm going to do well in school, I'm going to be funny, I'm going to be liked, and it was exhausting because I was so sad and so afraid. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the outcome's going to be. That is the that is the potential if a child doesn't have some so, someone else. So Helping Hands is a programme that they would have done in Women's Aid to teach children uh, protective behaviours, not necessarily talking to them about domestic violence, but primary school children. And if if you have your oh feelings in your tummy, who who can you talk to? And children would have said their dog or their doll or their teddy or youth leader or someone in the church. If it was the mother and father, if it was trouble at home, there was uh, issues with um, aggression towards a child from parents. So if children have the opportunity to be able to talk and be seen and get support, then that doesn't necessarily have to happen were all of those development i think it's you know the cortisone and adrenaline all those things interrupt those natural connections for the frontal lobe as far as i know i'm no expert no but I'm... my understanding is that that actually if you take a photograph of that that there actually could be an empty space but as you know the brain is really good so if you have some kind of brain injury there's all these other connections that can happen and the good news is at around adolescence when everything is all getting wired up again there is a window of opportunity for that child to also heal and for connections to happen so they won't have that empty space as much as it was wow i didn't know that that is an amazing piece of information to know actually i hope it's right but that's what i remember and i, I when people are always hearing what i'm saying they're like oh it's so awful what about the children i suspect there's hope for children even in the midst of that in the midst of war in the midst of domestic war there's ways that children will find to connect and feel safe. Mm. And we just have to, first of all, recognize that they're not just witnesses of domestic abuse. They actually do experience it and that there's a change now in the language around that. But so I love what I do. I am always looking for opportunities to raise awareness and to use interactive drama and creative writing and all of those things because that's the two things that I feel passionate about. And that's the two things that I'm actually good at. And that's another way of using that rapport I talked about when working with victims and survivors of also um, inviting and facilitating space for an audience, both men and women, to be able to ask those questions or speak up. And I just think I have a knack for it, Lucy. You do. You actually do. Absolutely. And it's very interesting. As you know, my background is Chinese medicine. Yeah. Uh, when you say that drama and it really and curiosity and you know learning really comes down to your root foundation which is your kidney energy so you're feeding that really powerfully with what you do oh tell me more my kidney oh yeah, yeah. kidney and adrenal it, it really comes curious we, we kill our curiosity as we grow up and I suppose 
Now, I, 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 I'm not a, a victim of childhood um, abuse, but I, um, there are, you know, you've survived this, but it's your humour, your curiosity as a child, your playfulness mm. that, that helped you through this yeah. process. Yeah. And that comes from your root to foundation, which is your kidney energy in Chinese medicine, and you're still feeding it. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Again, it's something uh, menopausal women suffer with. So if they don't feed that uh, yeah. curiosity in them, it, it, it can deplete that energy as well. And it's such a simple thing to do. It's like going out in the garden and smelling the flowers. Do you know, it's something. Yeah, or standing in the rain and not rushing, going, ah, wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, that type of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's jumping in the sea. Yeah, even uh, Anything like that. Even the Irish Sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter. But running on, you know, running barefoot on the sand, yeah. walking on the grass without your shoes on, all of those things that you know they create the curiosity in your life again, and it helps to support your kidney. So you've been doing that incredibly. Yeah, well throughout your I life. particularly like I particularly like rolling down hills. Go. But uh, it's sore in the old hip now, you know. <laughs> when I get up when because I'm a make you <laughs> trying to get back up when I get up and she thinks it's hilarious because I'm so dizzy I have to go I'm gonna lie here now for a few seconds yes <laughs> just to check what's broken and what isn't <laughs> get up with my feet not my head <laughs> I, I, listen thank you so much you've been an amazing guest and if anybody would like to attend your workshops how can they do that uh, well, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and my website is www.silversisterproductions.org. Brilliant. Thank you. And I will add as well in the notes at the end, if you ever, if anybody wants to get my Menopause Made Easy free ebook, it's going to be right there in the links as well to join. Okay. Thank you so yes, much. Thank good. you. Thank you.